All right, church, if you'd turn with me, we're going to Psalms 127. We're looking at verses 1 through 5, because that's all there is in chapters 127. One twenty seven says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eat, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Would you pray with me? Father God, let us hear what you have to say in this passage today. Father, don't, don't, um, not, not from me, Father, but from, from your words to, to the congregation today, Father. I pray that um, we would understand that, God, unless you are in it, if you are with us, then what we do is great. But if we, we don't include you, if we put you away, Father, everything we do is in vain. And Father, help us help us to understand the, the benefit of of having you involved in our lives, Father, and and having the benefit of having children and the blessing that they are, Father, that we may pour into them, and, and God, that they may see who you are because of of us putting time into their lives. Father, speak through me today, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, one of the things that I, I think that we as Americans desire above all else is to have a place that we call our own. And in our time, I think it, it's been dubbed, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, the American dream. <clears throat> we want a castle of our own, somewhere we can, where we can hang our hat, somewhere we can raise our kids, our own little retreat from the world, TV shows like... My wife likes to watch these shows and I get caught up into it too sometimes, but like House Hunters, House Hunters Abroad, House Hunters Island Edition, shows like Love It or List It, even shows like Fixer Upper emphasize how true it is that we want a place of our own and and we want it how we want it. So the psalmist comes to us, unless the Lord builds the house. Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Why is it vain to build our house without the Lord? I mean, I think it's obvious, right? The Lord is the only one who can bring stability to our families and to our home. Only the Rock of Ages can make our homes last. If you look at today's rate of divorce, it runs over 50% in households. Children are growing up in broken homes and often suffer abuse from the very people who should be protecting them. Continually, the homes of broken families are sold off. They're divided up in divorce courts. These broken families are the result of us building independently of God. The parents labored in vain. We want to build a Christian home. I want to build a Christian home. And so how do we do that? You have to have the right blueprint. We need to build according to God's plan in our life. How can we know God's plan for us? 
How can we know where God wants us to live? How can we know who he wants us to marry or what to do with our lives? What job should I do? There's so many questions in our life. How do we know what God wants for us in these things? How can we know his plans? Proverbs says in 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And the psalmist says in in chapter 33, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Prayer is vitally important to knowing what God's will is in our life. We should ask God to direct our paths before we make decisions. We ought to pray and ask for God's leading. Our responsibility is to seek the Lord's will and prayer in response. He guides us with his word. He guides us with other Christians in our lives and and through our circumstances. He gives us peace when we make the right choices. God doesn't just call us to build. He, He says that if you watch over a city and you don't have me in it, you labor, you stand guard in vain. Group of individual houses make up a city, correct? That's how we determine if it's a city. What has been built must be safeguarded. In ancient times, each city had a watchman that would guard it, that would stand on the walls and make sure that the city was the top priority was safety. It was important. Day and night, they would stay alert. Yet the psalmist says the watchman works in vain if the Lord doesn't keep the city. Why does he say this? Because he wants us to trust in the Lord for our protection. Watchmen can become complacent. Walls can be destroyed and breached by enemies. So today, what's something like that in our lives? We don't have walls up around our town to protect us from outside influence, right? Today, our security devices are neighborhood watch, the police. People spend money on security doors and screen alarms, and we rely on insurance companies to replace replace our possessions when stolen or lost and damaged. Um, But none of these things can guarantee our safety. We are unwise to place our confidence in the protection that man has to offer. Car accidents, sickness can strike us at any time. Whenever we, whenever our children leave, whenever they leave our house, they face danger. And as much as I don't, I don't like it and I want to think about it, we really can't protect them no matter how much we try. To have security in your home, you have to depend on God. Verse 2 goes on to say that in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, and he grants sleep to those he loves. He grants sleep to his beloved. The psalmist turns his attention to working and to workers. Working 20 hours a day will not accomplish anything without God involved. He says that work on its own will not satisfy us or be productive. Sacrificing our sleep is useless. Um, dependence upon God is vitally important to the fruit of our labor. If you work 18 18 hours a day, rising early and staying up late, you won't accomplish anything if God isn't blessing in a part of your work. The psalmist tells us that for a third time, that to depend on God. Carefully balancing our lives between work and rest. Resting is a good thing. Refreshing sleep is a reward from God. When we, in our lives, please the Lord, he blesses us in our labor and with rest. There is more to life than work. 
And, and part of that rest is, is not just sleep, but how many of you, you know, through the day because of your work, you're just so stressful that sleep is restless for you. And that you can't, you keep thinking of everything that you've been working on through the day and you just can't get it out of your mind. The Lord, if he's in it, gives you a restful sleep. I believe that he provides you that peaceful rest when you need it. So, there's more to life than work. Um, There's things out there, and I'm sure you've heard some of these. Hard work never killed anyone. Um, It also doesn't guarantee success either. Uh, Matt brought us one that we found that is neither biblical nor true, but God helps those who help themselves. Um, it's not true. God helps those who depend upon him. Only God can prosper our labor. Working ourselves to death isn't the, the way to prosperity. Faith and dependence on God is. Now, some years ago, there was a study done in Iowa at an agricultural school, and it reported the production of 100 bushels of corn from one acre of land. And these are the requirements for that. You need Four million pounds of water. Uh, you need 6,800 pounds of oxygen, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 20, uh, 75 pounds of yellow sulfur, and element, other elements that are too numerous to list. In addition to these ingredients, you are required to have rain and sunshine at the right times. Although many hours of uh, the farmer's labor are also needed to be put in to make corn be produced, it is estimated that only 5% of the the produce of a farm could be attributed to man's effort. 5%. Which means what? 95% is attributed to the providence of God. Farmers can identify with this, I think. God sends rain or withholds it. He has the power to frost stuff over and send hail to damage it, or the the Lord has the ability to control the grub, the mildew, the mice, the grasshoppers. When the Lord wants to bless, he can produce a harvest, but he can also take it away very quickly. God even controls the prices when you obtain the produce. Therefore, we are wise to commit our labor to him. In the things that we do, we should seek his blessing upon our work. So I, you're looking at this and I'm talking about two verses and, and ultimately my goal is to tell you about children. And you look at this going, well, you just spent two verses on, does this sound like I'm talking about children? And I'll tell you, these two verses set you up for a great foundation in working with your children. And what does your dependence on God look like? See, I wanted to just do verses 3 through 5 because I wanted to talk about the blessing of children. But you can't, you can't do this psalm without the first part. And with the labor and with what you do in your life, are you doing it in vain? There was a man who moved to the country and bought a piece of land. He went to the local feed and livestock store and talked to a proprietor about how he was going to take up chicken farming. And he asked to buy 100 chicks. Um, that's a lot of chicks, said the proprietor. And, but I mean business, said the city slicker. A week later, the man was back again. I need 100 more chicken. I need more chicks. 
The boy, the man said, man, you are serious about this chicken farming. And the city man replies, if only I could iron out a few of the details, a few problems. And the proprietor is like, problems? You're having problems. Yes. I think if I planted the last, I think I planted the last batch a little too close together. (laughs) Just like the budding farmer, we got it all wrong. You know, sometimes we get things wrong. We confuse things. We Raising chicks and growing crops are completely different. <clears throat> you can mix things up and you can confuse your primary task versus what is your preference on things. When we ignore the reality that millions of people in our country do not know the good news that is only available through Jesus Christ. When we worry too much about what the church down the street is doing instead of listening to God's desires for our church here. When we cart our kids around from one activity to the next, filling their lives with busyness instead of real family time, we mix up our priorities. The most important task of a farmer is to make sure that plants are produced, that crops are, are abundant with abundance. While it may not be simple of a process, the goal is, the, is definitely simple. Produce lots. The farmer's job is to make sure that the crop yields bounty. So, Let's take a look at comparison, comparing this to sowing in abundance when it comes to children and family. Verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. He shall not be put to shame, but when he speaks with his enemies, when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. The most important job for the family is for the children to grow up to become strong God-fearing adults who create families that become strong, God-fearing adults. Just like the task of a farmer does not end but continues to cycle with each successive season, so too does the family. Reproduce, grow, nurture, matures, and then reproduces again. We have to teach the next generation the truth of the gospel. God charges humanity multiple times. Be fruitful and multiply. He does it to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28. He does it again to Noah in Genesis 9.7. And then again to Jacob in Genesis 35. And we know not only with children to be fruitful and multiply, but in Matthew 28, God tells us, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. It's not just children that we're multiplying and in, in, in helping to know who the Lord is. We're talking about entire nations. Have you ever heard this phrase? We are one generation from the extinction of the gospel. While you might hear peril in what I'm saying, um, this generation, I knew this generation was messed up. You know, back in my day, I know I'm not old enough quite to say that, but... The truth is that the church is always one generation short of being extinct. At any point in human history, whether it's past, present, or future, if we fail to pass on our faith to the next generation, Christianity will become a faded memory in the history books. So I want you to take heed and hear me right now. The sky is falling. 
If we do not invest in the lives of our children, if we do not invest in the lives of young Christians, and I mean really invest the gospel of Jesus Christ into their lives, the gospel will stop. We will become extinct. The most important task of passing on one's faith of Jesus Christ is, is being a parent, I believe. It is our God-given mission as a church to pass on my faith, my beliefs into my children. And we simply cannot be a church or call ourselves a church if we are not engaging in this task. Home is our primary garden. Church is our secondary garden. And maybe you're doubting me saying that church is prime. Maybe maybe you're thinking church is primary. And I want to show you some numbers to prove to you that home is the primary garden which you should plant and grow your children in the faith of Jesus Christ. Go ahead, Clay. A student's life in one year has an their life for in hours is eight thousand seven hundred and sixty hours. That's how much they have in a year. So, how much, next slide, church, do you believe the church's influence of a student's life over one year is? In hours, how much time do you think the church gets to devote into a student's life? Now, those of you who have been a part of the children's ministry training, you don't get to answer. Any guesses? Sorry? 150, hour-wise? That's a good guess. On average, the church gets 40 hours in one student's life in a year. That's, that's a work week. You go to work and do 40 hours, right? Okay, so let's go to the next one. How, what do you think a family's influence? I'm talking about parents, grandparents, maybe it's aunt and uncles. In an hour... For one year, on average, how much time do you think you get to devote to your student's life, your child's life? Huh. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good one. But then you got to take in the fact that they sleep. And sleeping, I'll just tell you right now, sleeping is 2,920 hours of their life. That's about a third. So, you as parents, you as people who have influence over kids' life, you get 3,000 hours in a child's life that you get to pour into. Now, if you were to add up some stuff and you look at it, there's the busyness of life, right, is included when they are doing supports or activities or school or whatever it may be. On average... One student gets 3,000 hours with their family. Okay, I'm going to scare you just a little bit more. Um, your time to pour in your children is limited. Uh, as I've been looking at curriculum change and trying to involve families with church and bringing them together to work together, there was this really cool app that I signed up to do on my phone. And I put my kid, my, my son Isaiah, I put him in, and I put my daughter Adeline in. And um, it tells me, how much time I have left with my child. 
Isaiah has roughly 745 weeks until he's old enough to move on to the next part of his life in terms of college or whatever that may be. 745 weeks. My daughter has 895. Your time is limited. Don't miss it. Your time of influence in their life is limited. And then they get to make their own decisions in life. And they get to make their own choices and they get to make their own mistakes. Are you preparing them for that? The psalmist continues to talk about the blessing of your children as a reward. And like an arrow in the hand of a warrior are children in one's youth. What is the purpose of an arrow? For me, I think it's to fly straight and hit a mark to which you are aiming at. That's the purpose of the arrow. Aim true and shoot, right? At some point, your child is going to leave the house and make their own way. How will they fly? On the flip side of that, it does no good to keep that arrow in your quiver. And to try to protect them. If you leave the arrow inside, that arrow can never fully fulfill its purpose. Just like our children, they need to be encouraged to stand on their own and in their own faith. But how can that be done? Let's go back to the gardens. Home is the primary. Children need a primary family. And church is a secondary. The The children need the church. Family means that we guard the interests of the whole family above our own interests. We gather regularly with all generations. We give room for our fam- or for more people to grow in our family. And for a church family, it means that we guard the needs of the church family more than our preferences. We gather with excitement and anticipation on Sundays or whenever we're together. We give room for those who are new to their faith and to those who are weak. Church is not a substitute for the family. It is a co-teacher in the task of spiritual growth and education. Church and family work together like two violinists playing a duet. The church is the melody and the church, the family, I'm sorry, is the, is the melody and the church is the harmony that supports that melody. Maybe, maybe you're not getting me and, and I, maybe here's another way. Maybe you like sports analogies and the family is the head coach of the family mom and dad share the role of teaching training guiding kids into their field of life just like a real team the athletes learn from and model from verbal instruction just like good sports teams the church serves as an incredibly important role as assistant coach The church doesn't take on the primary role of the head coach, nor does the church bear the responsibility of the primary coach. But the church can step in when needed. It is the job of the mom and dad to teach, to train, to guide and equip kids in ways, both physically, vocationally, emotionally, intellectually, and yes, even spiritually. The church does not step in and take over when it comes to the education of the things of God. It is the family's primary responsibility and most important it is their task to pass on the faith the church is a supporter and an encourager and a co-teacher in those tasks with the family 
So if the church's prior, if the family's primary job is passing on the growth of faith in the lives of children, why do we have things like children's ministry and youth ministry? Why do we have children's church? Why do we have youth group? So let's just invest time into families and then they'll take care of it, right? I don't, I don't think that's true either. What about children's ministry? Children's ministry provides community and instills godly characters and traits like cooperation, fairness, and love. Children's ministry is a training ground for real life. Children's ministry provides a solid biblical foundation for spiritual growth and lifelong discipline and discipleship. So what about youth ministry? The job of the youth ministry, I believe, is to help sure up the faith of teenagers and to move them from spiritual milk to spiritual meat. Youth ministry helps keep the church relevant in our culture by pushing us as a church to consider consider the realities of our generations and what they're dealing with. Youth ministry is ultimately there to remind us that the church and the teenagers are co-creators and co-conspirators in the divine work of God. And there is found in the work of the church worldwide. They aren't apart from us, church. They are with us. And they're growing and learning and, and trying to figure things out. And, and we come alongside them and help them. God provides two families for spiritual growth. The home and the church. There are two gardens that are important to grow. <clears throat> if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm not just talking about spiritual growth of children. Although it's very important. Each of us, by God's design, requires that there is good soil and growth found in each of these gardens so that everybody can grow. Each of us needs a family. It's not just children. It's us, me, me, myself as well. I have a, a wonderful family that I get to lead, but I have also come from a wonderful family that I have grown in. We all need good soil to grow in. And so... Maybe you're thinking, how do I do this? How do I go about leading my children to develop a strong faith of their own? Well, I want to help you out. And first, it's really easy. Pray for guidance. As we learn from the psalmist, if we do not have God a part of what we do, we do it in vain. And sometimes leading our kids, it's not hard. It can be really simple. You know, start easy. Set aside a time in your family that you choose to sit down as a family. And you sit down and you go, I'm going to read, we're going to read just one book of the Bible this month. We're going to spend time reading. And you can encourage your kids and yourself to memorize one verse out of that passage, out of that Bible you're going to read. Each week when your kids come to Sunday school or to kids club on Wednesday night, they receive a handout that goes home that encourages family time. It gives you questions to talk about. It gives you activities to do together and even some verses that are related to the lessons that they're learning in class. If your kids are old enough, and I just want you to know this was a really cool idea from my childhood, and if you can take it and your kids can do it, That's even better. But my mom and dad would encourage us as siblings to present a lesson um, during mealtime. And we would take turns each week. 
presenting a lesson. And so on our pantry door in our kitchen, there was a whiteboard. And on that whiteboard, we could write down whatever we wanted. I, I you know, scripture that, we're, that you were going to teach. Uh, for me, one of my favorite lessons that I remember going through was the armor of God. And I, I drew each piece of armor and I said what each armor piece was. And um, at, at mealtime before we ate, you know, I talked about what this passage was saying. And, you know, this is I, I read the passage and I said, here's the armor. And, and, you know, at 10, it doesn't have to be crazy complicated. Sometimes all you need to know is that the helmet is salvation. And you don't have to go into some deep meaning behind what the helmet of salvation is. And you don't have to have this long, in-depth lesson that you have to teach your kids. Sometimes it's just the fact that they're in the Bible themselves and learning and, and, and figuring things out for themselves. But if you can encourage your kids to be in the Bible and, and to teach you back, I think that's the greatest learning that they could possibly get. It doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be simple, open, and honest. So, mom and dads, you have a garden to maintain. God has blessed you with seeds of your love, which are so precious. What are you doing to water and care for your seedlings? What are you doing for your children? To help them to walk in faith and following after Christ. <clears throat> Have you let weeds sneak in? Are there predators in your midst? Or are your roots growing deep in who, who Christ is? In church, we have a garden to tend to in this place. It's a precious crop. We have precious kids that come here and attend and are learning who God is. There are many seeds that need protection, maintenance, and nurture. Are you up to the task which God has laid before you? Are you up to the task of raising children to follow after Christ, to raising up that next generation so that we, as a church, as a follower of Christ, as Christians, don't go extinct and are still relevant in, today, in today's world? Father God, I pray that as we go from here, Lord, that we would recognize that we need you. In everything that we do, in everything that we touch, Father, we need you in our lives that we may be blessed in what we do. Father, when we are working with our kids, Father, help us to be patient and, and to, uh, Father, just to express love towards them as, as we are, are trying to, uh, God, just raise them in knowing who you are, that they may have a faith that blossoms and flourishes greatly in you, and that they would have a firm foundation on which they may stand. Father, as we go here, help us to be that uh, the same way in the community as we reach our fellow um, friends and co-workers. And Father, help us to be disciple-makers. Help us to want to spread your word and your love and through Christ Jesus and that we may make the nations know, Father, who you are and the goodness of who you are. And God, I thank you. I thank you that you are such a good God. 
that you recognize us as your children, Father, that you um, do not um, look away from us when we seek after you. Father, go with us today as we, as we leave here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.